Hello and welcome to the Inspired Equity podcast. My name is Richard Putherer and I'm here with my co-host, business partner and wife, Nina. We are the founders of Inspired Equity, the London-based investment business that specialises in property acquisition and development. And between us, we are world record holders, international investors, prolific networkers, speakers and coaches, and it is our absolute pleasure to introduce our podcast. On this show, we'll be discussing all aspects of successful property investing, covering everything from simple buy-to-let properties to multi-million pound developments. We'll be interviewing industry leaders and hosting live Q&As with expert panels and keeping you up to date with the ever-changing and exciting world of property. Tonight, I have the great pleasure of talking about one of my favourite subjects, raising capital and secure investors. I will be referring a lot to property. However, the same rules apply when raising capital for, for any business or in any sector. I'm also really proud that I know I have a number of our existing investors in the audience this evening. So thank you for joining us and thank you for your continued support. It's um, great to see you online with us this evening. That's actually one of the key things though about raising capital. I've always found that by making sure that you are publicly available, it actually puts you in good stead because it's not just about raising capital, it's about upholding a reputation. And if you are in the public domain, obviously that's imperative and people can see that you are who you say you are. So at the start, when people look to raise capital, there's uh, this, this moment where you have to overcome this hurdle of uh, how you do so and why people should actually invest money in them. Sometimes though, when people start a new business, um, they do it in a sector that they've already worked in. So at least they have the relevant experience uh, and, and understand the industry. However, friends and family are always very nervous when people start a new business. And worse still, uh, an investor will invariably want to see track record. And that's tough if you're starting out in a new business. But sadly, the, the matter gets worse because when you choose to do something completely new, why would anyone give you money? Why would anyone invest in you? And we see many people going to property training seminars when their background or their careers has got nothing to do with property. And so it makes the process of raising capital even more difficult. So sadly also most people, so friends, family, or potential investors might think you've been to a get rich quick scheme and they'll be less likely to invest. And you need to ask yourself, you know, how many new ideas or new many, how many new business ideas have I had and discussed with people previously? And the fact that many people deep down when an announcement is made that I'm starting a new business, there's that negative side of people that actually deep down they think that you might fail. Now, an example that I often give is about when people try to give up something. I use the example of giving up smoking. Um, when someone uh, announces that they're going to give up smoking, they do that to make themselves publicly accountable. But it actually makes the task a lot more difficult because people will continually ask how that's going. Or even there's the people that will try and encourage you to break away from this, uh, uh, this, this new habit that you're trying to form. So it's the same when you're starting a new, um, a, a new venture. 
there's the people that want you to succeed and constantly ask you about it, but there's also the people that might want you to fail. A good example of this is I remember that uh, when I was leaving my career, um, we'd already started Inspired and we were actually about 16 months into, um, into the business. And we'd done so and I wanted to make sure that the business was sustainable and that we'd actually already had a proof of concept and it worked before I left my career. Yet, despite that, my colleagues, even my CEO said to me, I hope it works out for you. And I felt like that that was actually a statement that said, you know, it's not going to work for you. But my response was, it already has. And I put that effort in at the start. So it's important that you make sure that you've got a good grounding before you start announcing things. So many of these property training companies have a lot to answer for when they suggest that you can simply go out to your friends and family and raise capital. It's not as easy as it sounds. Then we have the concept of people that just go up to strangers and say that they're looking for capital. Now, Nina and I run IMN London and uh, we get to meet a lot of new people in proper networking events when we're actually together in person. We still get it in the online world, but more so when uh, somebody new shows up to a networking event and they say hi, and they tell you um, their name and they say, I'm looking for an investor. And every time I hear that, my response is always the same. And I know a lot of people on this um, um, in the audience will have heard me say this before. But uh, looking for an investor is much like looking for a partner, husband, wife, um, or, or otherwise. And the example I always give is, imagine 22 years ago when I first met Nina, if I went up to her and said, hi, my name's Richard, I'm looking for a wife. I think she probably would have thought I was a very strange person and that conversation would have dried up quite quickly. And it's much the same with investors. You need to get to know the people and build that relationship. You can't just say what your intentions are immediately. It just doesn't work like that. But preparing yourself before you seek investment is the key. And there's a lot you need to do that's way upstream of actually asking somebody for money. So your approach and your ethics about raising capital. I despise the term using other people's money. It, the connotation of it is horrible. What you're saying is that you're going to use that person and their money to get you where you want to be, and it's not about them. And don't forget, these are the people with the capital that are going to enable you to actually start or grow and expand your business. And you have to always remember that. We never use someone and we never use their money. We have a relationship with a number of wonderful investors and we thoroughly uh, enjoy working with all of them. It's about creating a mutually beneficial relationship. The investment will enable you to create the new business or the new business opportunities that you might not have otherwise been able to. And in return, you are providing the investor with a healthy return on their capital and they're involved in an exciting new project. Their money is always more important than your own. Always, and never ever deviate from that. Only take investment that you know you're gonna be able to return and you have ensured that you have multiple ways of returning their money to them. Always make it about the investor, and not the other way around. There's also about the 
perception of yourself and the positioning that you need to create in order for someone to see that you are someone that you can invest in. How you dress is one of the most basic things, uh, but I cannot express to you how important it is. I, many years ago with Nina, went to a number of property training classrooms. And because we were in the corporate world at the time, we showed up in um, relaxed corporate attire. So something similar to, to what I'm wearing this evening. But yet in the same classroom, we could see people with tracksuit trousers on, caps turned backwards. And I was quite surprised because I just thought, no, I'm representing myself. I didn't even have the business at that point, but I just felt it was the right thing to do. And something that really cemented this was that um, I saw quite quickly that it was always the people talking at the front of the room, the very successful property investors, the very successful um, property developers. They were the ones that were always wearing the suit, in most cases a tie as well. And the people that they were talking to, who were all aspiring to be that person at the front of the room, were actually dressed in jeans and t-shirts and trainers. And it was quite unusual actually. And again, my CEO, just before I left, he said we were um, actually on a social event and he um, said to me, he said, I suppose this is going to be your, your attire now from now on. And I laughed and I explained it to him. I said, that the, you know, ironically, I said, I think I'll be wearing suits probably more now that I run my own business than I did um, through um, being in the organisation. And it's interesting to see. It's how you talk and the things that you say as well that are imperatively important. And I'm gonna to touch on some of the key things that, that you can say, but before I do, there's the other things that give people a perception of who you are. Many people don't like business cards. I'm still a business card person, but there's some important other elements to how you present yourself. You will need a website. Your email address should be in the name of a company. It shouldn't be a Hotmail or a Gmail or Yahoo. Uh, it needs to be the name of your company. Your social media should match what it is that you do and how you behave. And this is an important one. So um, if you're looking to raise capital, go and review your social media, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your um, all of the others that um, I don't even know the names of, but it's imperative that it looks like what you say you do, you do. If you're a property investor, it should be all about property. If you're starting a tech business, everything should be relative to tech on your social media. Now, the, um, the people don't want to see pictures of your holiday, pictures of your food, and definitely pictures of you drunk on a night out. So I know people say, well, Facebook, it's a personal thing, but you will get researched and it's such an imperative thing to check. I had at a networking event, it was a, a property networking event a couple of years ago, and I was chatting to a young chap who's wanting to get started in property, and he was incredibly enthusiastic, and he said he was going to be finding details, uh, sorry, deals. And I said to him, can I have your business card? And his reply was, I don't have one. I said, how am I going to make contact with you then um, uh, to, um, to follow this up? They said, well, I don't have a business yet, so why would I have a business card? And I explained to him in, in, in a kind way that for, for the sake of about £20, I would thoroughly recommend that he actually gets a business card, even if it had his name, telephone number and email address on, even if he didn't have a brand yet. But it's important that people are able to make contact with you. 
With regards to how you post social media, though, I see a lot of people that go to property training seminars and they put pictures of themselves at the training seminar and say, here I am on a property training seminar with a number of um, property invest uh, property um, uh, entrepreneurs. Again, that doesn't really position you suitably because what people will see externally is that you're in training and they might not want to invest in you yet. So the, the key or the trick is to say, here I am at a seminar, not necessarily a training seminar with a number of other entrepreneurs and um, just make sure that you position that in an appropriate manner so people don't see you as a rookie or someone in training. Always credit the host of the event because you're also then piggybacking onto their followers in the social media as well and it broadens your audience. But you need to get behind what it is that you're doing and just live and breathe your new business, be it property or something else. Everything you say and everyone you meet has to be considered with purpose. There's a great book that's uh, called The Millionaire Next Door and it, it's a book about how anyone that you meet can or is potentially an investor to you. So wherever you are, be it networking, out for, um, for lunch, friends, family, colleagues, or when we're able to, and the pubs reopen properly, when you're down a pub and chatting to people about what it is that you do. Ironically, when I was in my career, I never ever would talk about my career. People said to me, what is it that you, um, uh, what is it you do for a living? And I, I would brush over it. But what I found as soon as I got into property, I was so excited about these new things I was learning and the money I was able to make through property. I was talking enthusiastically to every single person who would spare me about 10 seconds about what it is that I was doing. And I stumbled across a few things. It was all about drawing people in. And I accidentally said one day to someone who was asking me what it is I did for a living. I said, I used the words, I'm leading a double life at the moment. And they laughed, they said, well, what does that mean? And I explained what I did for my career. And then I explained that I'd recently started my own property business. I've been investing in property for some years before that, but I really actually got behind this and I was looking to step away from my career. That actually sparked a conversation and um, the conversation actually ensued and I started using hook or keywords to, to, to draw this person um, in. And the conversation went a bit like this. I said that I was leading a double life and I, I explained that I was actually going into property. And the person asked me, he said, doesn't that require a lot of capital? And I explained that there's some strategies in property that doesn't require capital and there are some that does. And I explained that the, um, the, um, my uh, preferred method was the one that actually required capital. And he said, well, how do you go about um, um, gaining that capital then? And I said, well, I work with a select few investors where they provide the capital for me to actually acquire these new projects. And in return, I give them a much greater return on their capital than they would otherwise be able to achieve in the banks. And the next question from this chap said, well, what are the returns that you're offering? And I said, well, you know, I, I, um, we have a range of returns. And, and here's a side note. We, I never try and talk about the actual numbers initially because someone will always try and either negotiate your numbers up or go for someone um, who actually offers a 1% more, for example. 
And I said, well, the minimum we offer is an 8% return per annum. Um, but I've just deployed a project where I'm paying the investor around about 15% because it's development. It's a, um, I needed to uh, mobilize the deal quickly. And um, that's how we agreed with that number. And he said, oh, that's interesting. I said, but you know, there's a number of things about the number of uh, the amount of capital, how long investments for. So there's some um, different permutations to it. And his next question was, how would someone become one of those select few investors? And it was then I realized that because the conversation had been led um, by sort of open statements that would draw the person in and inquire about the next question, it was a really, really valuable learning experience. Now, something I've used since I've completely qu um, quit my career is uh, when asked, I might say something like, well, my friends will tell you I've retired. However, I'm now actually working harder, more hours, but having way more fun than I ever did in my career. That statement has actually um, in, um, encouraged conversations as well. And it's all about drawing someone in and having a chat with someone about what it is you do. The great thing is if you're enthusiastic about whatever your business is, uh, it will come across and people do get encouraged by it. The slightly luckier side, because I'm in property, is everyone is interested in property, particularly in the UK, because they've seen such significant growth over the number of years. So people want to see a piece of the action. So you need to make sure that your intro is honed and that you've always got uh, um, statements to make and questions to ask um, people when they ask you about what it is that you do. Look at investment companies, see with the language they use on their websites, and you need to be starting to put that into your vocabulary. You need to also link things to your existing job. So um, a few examples here, because you know, if you've gone into property and you're not already in property, you've got that transition where people think, hang on a second, this is a big transition, it's a big jump, why would I invest? And so there's many examples that, that um, I've given in the past. Uh, for example, there's a chap that was asking me, he was an electrician, and he said, well, now how do I actually use my current job, you know, these transferable skills to talk about raising capital? I said, well, it's relatively simple, you know, you've, you've, you're an electrician, you've been in the trade, you understand the, the business, you actually go in and you've worked with other trades. So straight away, that puts you in a stronger position. So you could say, I'm an electrician by trade. Um, however, over the years of doing that, I've seen many developers become very successful in property. I wanted to see a piece of that action. So I went out and I found myself a property education program or a mentor or a coach. And I've educated myself in all aspects of um, property development, property investment. And now I've started my own business. The great thing is that because I've been working as a trade, I have so many connections in that sector, so I can drive down the price of my conversions or my developments, but I also understand what I'm looking for and how um, uh, the, these trades behave. I recently got asked by an investment banker, really, you know, I've, I've done investment, but never in property, and it's the same thing. I understand the investment world. I understand how to analyze deals. And what I've done is I've gone out and educated myself or found myself a mentor or a JV partner that, who's experienced. So I don't make the mistakes, but I understand investment and I know how to secure an investment and actually how to grow somebody's capital.
project managers, same. There's always something you can link your existing or your previous career to the, um, the new path that you're taking now. And the key thing is that nobody wants to be sold to. So when, as soon as you say, I'm looking for investment, people, even if they're looking to invest, will start shying away. But the flip side of that is everyone wants to buy. So if you have a compelling story and you talk excitedly about what it is you're doing, I assure you people will be asking questions. It's just making sure that you have the right questions ready. So when it comes to the investor, you need to be thinking like the investor. Don't think like the person that needs the capital for them. Think about what they will ask, what will they be looking for? Firstly, they want to know who you are, why they should trust you, and whether they like you or not. So that's a fairly important thing to overcome. But there's five key things that I always believe are the most important things that you need to be ready for to talk to your investor about. They need to know how much you're looking for, how long you need it for, what's their security, what's in it for them. So what's the upside? What's going to be exciting for them? And how do they get their money back? They'll want to see your track record and experience. So if you don't have that, I'm going to come on to that a bit later on. And they want to be able to research you. So it goes back to the point about uh, the, um, uh, the, your social media and making sure that when people put your name into Google, they can find who you are. Most importantly, though, they want to know why you. So why are you unique? What are you going to do that's special? And why should they invest in you and your business? Flip side of that, though, is that you should also be asking them what they want. Now, it's, I said earlier on, it's all about the investor. Make it about them. So you should be finding out how much they're looking for, what's, so how much they have to invest, what's their view on risk, what's their experience in investing, have they ever done in property deals, have they invested in whatever industry that you're in, what are their expected returns, what are they looking for in an investment partner? So what do they want out of um, the investment with you? There's your assurance. Now, if you're starting in a new sector, you, so if you've not been in property and you're now going to get into property, you absolutely have to have educated yourself. And if you haven't, I suggest you go back and review your business plan and um, get, get that part underway. You can't expect people to invest, and I thoroughly recommend that you don't do any investing, whether it's in your own money or in investors, until you're educated in this new sector, property or any other industry. Make sure you're able to link what it is that you've done in your previous employment or in your current career that's relevant and has given you transferable skills to take into your new empire. The other things are, it's always really beneficial if you have a coach or a mentor that is experienced in that sector as well because when you're talking with your investor you can say not only have i educated myself here is my coach who is a property developer property investor and this is how i ensure that every single deal i'm about to embark on is signed off by someone who's been there done it many many more times than i have if you're doing it with a joint venture partner you need to give um, them details of who that partner is and make sure that they have that relevant experience as well. Then there's your personal experience. When you're starting out and you haven't done a deal yet, the truth 
is good enough and you can never lie. So do not make up stories to try and get your investor on board. However, with your first project, you can refer to it as your current project. And your second project is your most recent project. If you say, this is my first project, it starts to scare people off. If they ask you, tell them, but this is your current project. And you can refer to projects uh, for multiple um, examples. So the same project, let's pick an example, your third project, you can use as examples for returns or experiences or what you've done with an investor. So you can use the same project to give multiple case studies. So always be looking for case studies when you're doing the project. When you're looking at your returns, if you've used your money, your own money for your first, second, third um, projects, you can refer to yourself as the investor and talk about the returns that you've actually achieved yourself. But as I said, the truth is good enough and you never ever lie to an investor or to anyone for that, for that matter. It's imperative that you have documents in place. Contracts will cost money but you're borrowing a lot more money than the cost of those contracts. So make sure that you have those in place. I, it, it's disappointing to, to see that this is an area that's often skipped over by people, both people seeking investment and people that are actually making investment. The example I always give is that when you're buying a house, you always pay for a conveyancer. So if you're investing a significant sum of money into a, um, someone's business into a project or into a startup you need to invest in those contracts whether you, you are the investor or the company that's seeking the investment have them ready and there's nothing worse than an investor saying yeah i'm good to go send me the contracts and you uh, fall flat and say ah i haven't got those ready they have to be ready along with your cv your company overview so a bit about your company the executive summary company profile case studies that you have and then the actual investment you should also have ready your previous projects if you've got them so you can actually put those into any documentation that you're sending your investors this is your proof of concept these are the things that you've done in the past to show that you are viable to invest in but i see so many people fall into a trap where they're sending 10 15 20 page documents as the first uh, submission to the potential investor do not do that we never send anything more than just one page when we're initially talking about the project it's so important because you send a long heavy weighty document to someone and i can guarantee you every time you ask them they say i've not read it yet i've not read it yet. the first document is to show those five things how much you're looking for how long you need it for what's in it for them what the security is and how they're going to get their money back. Picture of the project, something to draw them in. It's the headlines, much like watching the news. They tell you what they're going to tell you. And then if they're interested, they're going to want more. And that's when you tell them all of the information about the project. But you need to do so in a controlled manner. Also, understand who your investors are. If they're left brain person, love the details, send them all the spreadsheets. If they're a right brain person and just like the feel of the project, do not send them a spreadsheet. You will lose the investor. So, so important. Understand who you're talking with and make sure that your information is fitting with that. Then about the deal. So after the one pager, 
It needs to be information about the project, if it's property, you need to talk about the area, so how you've done the due diligence, what you've looked at and how you've mitigated risk, and then the financials. Again, high level financials for a right brain person and intricate spreadsheets, which I personally love for the left brain person. Have these ready beforehand. The amount of times that people have said to me, I've got a new project and I say, great, I'll, I'm, I'm happy to have a look at that, I'll invest in it. And then two weeks later, I still haven't got an investment summary from them. I just feel they're ill-prepared and it's wasted my time. If I feel that way, other investors will feel that way as well. Have them ready beforehand. Also, a point of advice at this, um, at this junction, I, have sent out investment packs about our past track record to people previously. I've then had one of my good friends as an investor in Hong Kong come to me and there's one example. He said, I've just been shown some of your deals by another um, property investor. This person had come to us, suggested they had money to invest. And so we sent over some information to them and they actually used our deals to present their track record. Really naughty. So what we do when we send out any information now, we put a watermark over the top of it so it can't be stolen or, um, and, and, or reused, repurposed by somebody else. It's sound bit of advice. Sad that we have to do that, but something that I have found out um, because of that. I mentioned have um, your contracts ready. This, there is a cost to that. Make sure that your investor has their own lawyer to do that for them as well, and make sure that they are prepared to invest in that. And note out to those investors amongst uh, um, us in the audience this evening, please, please, please make sure that you do your due diligence on the company that you're investing in, and make sure that you do get that legal representation so many times one of my lawyer friends says i see so many people having to invest so much more money when it goes wrong than actually the money would have been invested in the first place to actually get that investment uh, contract tied up so when you're speaking to investor an investor what do you need to offer well you need to be generous it needs to be compelling and it needs to be something that they will want to invest in as I've mentioned, though, don't make it about the numbers. This is all about being part of an exciting project. If you offer 12% and it's all about the numbers, they'll go and find someone that offers 13 or 14%. This needs to be a, a holistic investment offering. At the beginning, it's very likely you will have to offer more as a percentage, whether it's profit share or a percentage of money, um, because you have less experience and you're trying to gather investors. It also is linked to security and security becomes easier as your business grows, your portfolio grows, whatever sector you're in, because you can then offer security. We, on all of our investments now at Inspired Equity, asset back them. So the absolute worst case scenario is the investor gets all their money back. So it's a compelling story, but as a result, we don't necessarily have to offer the sky high investments because there's, there's no risk to the capital. Make sure that you understand the time frame for the project and make sure that you give slippage for that time frame as well. So if your project is 12 months, make provision for it to be up to 15 months. 
always have the option to extend for three or six months because in any project there are always changing circumstances and you know when you're first starting out you might want to look at either smaller value deals with your investor or even um, shorter time frame investments just so you can um, prove that the concept works security is a key one and there are a number of ways in which you can do this personal guarantees charges contracts against the company debentures uh, restrictions on properties or actual charges on um, title first second making sure the other lenders are happy please make sure you understand the implications of these personal guarantees are frequently used but make sure that you're not just signing personal guarantees away and offering the same sum of money to a number of people and the other thing is that whilst you should always know that you can pay this back I would thoroughly recommend that you question putting your own house as security because you need to make sure that you've got somewhere to live. So that's something I really, really urge people to consider before you offer up your own home security. There's the other boring parts that you need to consider as well. The FCA, and even though you're not FCA regulated, you need to understand what the regulations are because failing to comply can end up with you having 10 years at Her Majesty's pleasure, which I don't think you probably want to have to um, experience. So even though you're not regulated, there are some rules that you need to comply with. And I'm not giving an exhaustive list tonight, just some examples. You cannot advertise um, investment opportunities. And I see so many people doing this on social media. Here we are raising capital for another um, project and this is what we're offering. That's advertising, that's in breach of FCA regulations. You cannot give advice on, um, uh, on investment. Even something like um, this at 10% is way better than your half a percent that you're getting in the bank or way better than the 0% that you're getting for premium bonds, for example. That is offering advice, that is regulated, you're then in breach. There's also something important that you need to consider. Any investment amount of £25,000 or less is seen as regulated. So you should never be taking an investment of less than £25,000. Now, there are some exceptions to that, and the FCA say you know, friends and family don't fall into that category. However, I will point out that if your, um, if your investment doesn't go to plan, friends soon don't become friends when there's large sum of monies involved and things can get lost um, so i would urge you that you comply with that twenty-five thousand pound threshold that also links me to though something that i've i found out quite quickly it's a lot easier to raise for example five hundred thousand pounds than it is to raise fifty thousand pounds and you might think that's a strange statement to make but the point behind that is that a £50,000 investment is typically someone's savings and the majority of, if not all of. And they are therefore not experienced investors and you need to um, make sure that you're overcoming a lot of fears that they might have. Someone that's investing 500000 is very likely, likely to have significantly more than that. They will be as an experienced investor and therefore they understand what they're looking for. 
So I always stand by that, and you will see that um, as the um, as your investment um, uh, uh, career develops. But that's one of the other things that you need to consider under FCA. You need to make sure that the person investing in you or your business is either a high net worth individual or a sophisticated investor. And you need to make sure that they do the self certification to um, uh, uh, demonstrate that. You also need to go through some basic know your customer regulations, which is photographic ID. And you need to have two forms of um, a proof of address, but can't be a mobile phone bill for some unknown reason. Right, now onto the important bit. Um, how do you find investors? Well, they are everywhere. And it's uh, always been uh, quite enlightening to me that it's um, that if you have your, um, your, your uh, introduction honed, it's amazing how many people will inquire about your business. Networking is imperative. And we've, you know, we've mentioned about deals that have been done in this online world at IMN uh, since uh, lockdown. However, networking events in person are always um, a great opportunity to meet potential investors. But don't fall into the trap of property investors go to property events to, uh, events to seek investment. But most of the people there are doing the same. Go to a business networking event to find investors. Go to a property networking event, for example, to find property deals. Just make sure that you're differentiating yourself. But the key is speaking publicly, getting to the front of the room. A load of you will have heard the saying, it's not what you know, it's, not, um, it's who you know. But we believe it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And by getting to the front of the room and talking about what it is that you do, even if it's just a 30 second pitch at a networking event, I cannot express to you how important that is. Nina and I started doing this when we were um, going through our property training some years ago. And it was very interesting, even when people were talking about case studies or um, deal clinics, Nina and I would get to the front of the room and we would always enthusiastically talk about these new opportunities that we were looking at. That really, without us knowing at the time, paid dividends because we're in a classroom of 80 to 100 people. And instead of being part of the crowd, we were now known by those people within the room. And we applied that in all of our networking, so much so that just over three years ago, we started running um, IMN, London, the um, International Business Networking Club. So speaking is imperative. And every time that someone gives you the opportunity to grasp it, whether that's um, uh, speaking at a networking event or speaking at an industry seminar, make sure you take the opportunity. Contact people, get yourself known, go out there and be proactive with it. One of the key things for our brand Inspired Equity was our first magazine article. And I pushed and pushed and pushed to get into that article, uh, into that magazine. And then as soon as we had that article, I went out and I pushed and pushed and pushed to other magazines saying, hey, look, we've just been in this magazine. We should be featured in your magazine. And only actually this January, after three years of harassing um, a particular uh, property magazine, uh, I actually was in that magazine and uh, we've been in the States Gazette and all of the um, industry sector magazines now because getting that first one over the line and then continuing to promote themselves. I go out and I'm uh, offering 
to speak at property events, networking events, and ensure that I'm always promoting the brand of Inspired Equity to ensure that we can continue to tell our story. Get to the front of the room, get involved, help people, be selfless. The amount of people I get um, contacting us just um, out of the blue saying, I need some help on LinkedIn. And we always actually, within reason, actually spend a bit of time with those people because we want to make sure that we're promoting the brand and doing the right thing by the business, but you just never know who it is that you're helping. One time I was speaking, this is going back about four years ago, and um, I had become at the time a little bit dissuaded uh, or disappointed with networking events because so often you get people coming up to you and trying to zap every bit of knowledge that, that you have um, out, of, out of you without them wanting to have to go through any training. But this one gentleman was patiently waiting to speak to me. And uh, um, I, I, I waited and he said, oh, it's interesting what you had to say. He said, can you tell me a bit of information about your business? And in my mind, I was thinking, I'm saying, I, I did that in my presentation. But I, I, I just responded. And we got into this short conversation, but a really meaningful conversation. And he said to me at the end, he pulled a business card out. He said, that's really interesting. Because I talked to him about how we'd educate ourselves and how we'd grown the business and the, sort of the, the ethos behind our company. He said, that's really interesting. He said, because I'm here. He was from um, a different country. He said, I'm here from this country. I'm representing a group of investors. And we're looking for people like you that we can invest in. Had I been dismissive, I would never have known. And so the important note is that you just don't know who you're talking to. Always be giving and ensure that you're promoting yourself and your business in the best possible light. I said I'd come back to, if you don't have experience, how do you overcome it? Well, this is the area that so many people fall down on. I see so many people refusing to take this as a um, as an option to um, to to actually create some experience. If you don't have any capital and you've not got any experience, it's very unlikely that people will invest in you. So you need experience. So go and find a great property deal, or you know, if you're in a different sector, look for an opportunity that you, um, you can actually share with somebody else. In property, go and find an experienced developer and say, I've got this deal. I would like to work with you on it. I understand that you've got the experience, but I'm looking to gain experience. We've offered this out to so many new people in property, and we've had such a low uptake of it because people were stubborn and say, well, no, I want to do all of the deal on my own and I'm not doing the deal unless I do it all. And then I see them 18 months or two years later, they still haven't done the deal. Now, it's not a step backwards, it's a step sideways. You've got to remember the, um, the, 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 um, where your position is in, in this process though. Because if you don't have the capital and you don't have the experience and you've got someone that can bring the equity, the debt, the team, the know-how um, um, and all of that experience, is it right to demand 50% of the, the, the profit? Well, maybe not. Um, is it right that you can say that you want to be involved and want to get paid? Absolutely. But reach a reasonable agreement with the experienced investor or developer. Do a joint venture together. You will then have the experience, you've got track record, you've got proof of concept, and you can now go out and talk about all of those things that you've done with zero risk by working with an experienced organization. 
it's something that so many people miss a trick on. And it's certainly something that I thoroughly recommend that people consider. One of the key other things is, uh, is objection-based selling. So it's overcoming objections as they arise. Now, um, you might, so for example, you think the investor is going to be saying to you, you've only done one deal, you've only done two deals. And so when you're talking to them, you hit that head on. And you say, well, you're probably thinking, how in a second, this person has only done one deal or two deals, and that leaves you a little bit nervous. Well, this is what I've done to mitigate it. And then that's when you can talk about how you've educated yourself, your transferable experience from your previous role, the um, joint venture partner, so the experienced developer that you're working with, the coach, the training, the education you've had. Always think about, and this is something that Nina and I did before we started raising capital, we sat down with a long list, what are all of the objections that could be thrown at us when we're raising capital? What is our answers? Great way to do this is before you're meeting with your investor, send them a list of SAQs, should ask questions. And those are the things you say, hey look, um, uh, you've said that you've, um, you're looking to invest, love to have a meeting with you, this is what I would recommend that you consider before we have a meeting. It straight away puts you into a different league to um, other potential companies that they're looking to invest in, and it's showing that you're thinking about them. You're not doing it as a sales pitch, it's about being a genuine person and making sure that your investor and their capital are safe. Mistakes. There's so many um, pitfalls that you uh, need to keep um, your eye out for. I've talked about one that's a real bugbear of mine, but I'm gonna mention it again. Using other people's money makes you sound like an idiot and it will attract what I think are wannabe property investors, not people with capital looking to invest. You work with investors, you don't use people. I also thoroughly dislike the, um, the term angels. It's the connotation isn't quite right. They're investors, not angels. There's a, um, a mutually beneficial relationship and an angel is suggesting they're coming in, swooping in to help you. And it just shifts your perception. This is a mutually beneficial arrangement for you and the investor. Don't, and please excuse the conversation to this, don't try and get the investor into bed on the first date. This is about building a relationship. Be a great human being. Talk to them about what it is that you're doing as a business. Keep them updated, have newsletters, get yourself publicly known, um, send them news articles that might be relevant to them and what it is that you're doing in the business. It shows that you're thinking about them. I often get people saying, well, I'm, I, I'm looking to invest in cheaper areas of the country. And I always ask, well, are you raising capital? And if they say yes, I say, well, why are you looking at that area then? Why don't you look at a different area that might actually attract investors more, but you just have to raise more capital. And by that, I, uh, if, if you're looking to raise a small sum of money to get your first deal done, but you're saying to investor, I need 25,000 pounds of your money, but I'm investing in a tiny little town that's uh, I'm not known in the north of England and there's only one source of employment, the investor might say, hang on a second, I think that's too risky. Whereas if you're in an area that's um, got an abundant supply of uh, um, employment sources, it's commuter town into a big city, yes, you're going to raise more capital, but 
the investment might be a more appealing one to the investor. So just consider that. Is your area right for raising capital? I see so many people trying to shoehorn an investor into the wrong deal. So the investor says, I want, um, I want to have a long-term investment, um, but I want security. And so the, um, uh, the, the person says, well, I, okay, I'm doing a flip and I'm going to have your money for six months and I've not done a flip before. And then, well, hang on a second, this isn't, this isn't balanced or development is high at risk. Similarly, you can't put an investor that wants a high rate of return but likes the exciting development project. So, yes, I want to invest for 12, 18 months, big chunk of money, only want to get payment um, in, um, at once the, um, the project is finished. You can't offer them a monthly paying, slightly lower rate, less interesting project because it's just not going to interest them. And people lose investors for, um, for that reason so frequently. The other one is that for property, and this is a property specific one, so my apologies, but people will say they're a property sourcer, so someone that goes looking for deals because they haven't got capital. But what they're really doing is then going out to the um, other property people and trying to raise capital against it, and the message is mixed. And I see so many sources that fall into this trap, don't actually ever sell a deal, but never actually do a deal themselves. If you're a sourcer, do it brilliantly. Do it for six, eight, 12 months, two years, raise capital that way. You can do your first deal with your own money and then you can actually give you proof of concept. If you say you're a sourcer, be a sourcer. It's so important. Then the other thing that, um, uh, one of the, the penultimate things is um, how I often break the mold. And so many gurus, property trainers will say, Never do it with your own money. Now, I work with a wonderful group of investors, but we still do projects with our own money. But when we started out, we always made sure that we did the first type of project in, with our own money. Now, it goes against the grain, but I would thoroughly recommend if you're able to, you do that. Because if you're going to make a mistake, it's your own money. The most important thing, though, is that you can say to your investor, we will not deploy a new strategy or a new project type until we've done it with our own money first. We make sure that we understand it. Then and only then will we put and work with investors' capital into a project like that. It breaks the, um, breaks the mold from what other people will tell you, but I thoroughly recommend that's the way forward because it gives so much assurance and we still live by that. Any new project type, we use our own capital first before we even consider offering those type of projects out to investors. So I have so many wonderful examples to, to talk about of how we've secured investors, but I'm mindful that um, there's some questions that are coming in. And so if I can, I, I've got some, uh, some nods here. So if I can open this up to questions and I might, if I have time, I'll go through some examples. Thank you. That was great, darling. Um, I, um, I just wanted to mention we've got um, um, people from all over the world here this evening. It's really great. We've actually got um, people with, from, from nine different countries, but ranging from New Zealand, um, South Africa, America and Europe. So um, great to see everyone in such different time zones. So thank you all for joining us. Well, th thank you. I think that's really cool. New Zealand, uh, I guess we're probably tomorrow morning already. 
Yeah, great to see you, Michael. Um, I, I have a first question. I'm going to bring up um, Victoria. One second. Victoria, one of our London IMM members. Welcome, Victoria. Thanks, Nina. Sorry, I was just trying to unmute myself and you were trying to do it at the same time. Um, hi, Richard. Thank you. Brilliant, as always. Um, I had an interesting conversation with a fellow property investor the other day about when we're approaching new investors, whether or not we bring up the subject of risk. He was very pro bringing up risk and he said, it's the first thing I talk about. And I always lay it out there. And I said to him, do you not feel by that being the first thing you talk about, you're potentially putting off that investor? And he said, well, I like them to know their money's secure. And for me, it wouldn't be the first thing I'd bring up because in my head, it, it would bring doubt to my mind about how safe my money would be. And I just wondered what, what your opinion or Nina's opinion was on when you bring it up and if you bring it up and how you do. It's a brilliant question. Thank you, Victoria. Um, it always needs to be addressed. And it goes back to, I've mentioned obje objection-based selling. And so before they bring up the matter of risk, you need to raise it. Would I necessarily bring it up as the first thing? Um, I might not because um, you, you are going to raise it. So you're, you're not trying to hide anything, uh, but it, it, it goes back to, um, you know, I, I, I used the example of, um dating or a meeting a partner if you on the first if i met nina i said oh i've got all of these ailments when i first met her um she might think oh, hang on a second this guy's a bit of a uh, um you know he's, he's, he's not a healthy chap and so you've got to start building that that relationship and you need to be talking about the, the great things that you do and i mentioned the you know, people don't want to be sold to but they want to buy now um i'll reassert the point that you will of course talk about risk and how you mitigated it and do not ever wait for them to raise it. But in, in terms of the, the discussions, it would be talking about, you know, um, sort of how I've structured this talk. You talk about the, the um, everything you did to how you got your business. So this is the training that you've um, you've gone through. This is why you've chosen this, um, this sector. This is what you love about running your business. This is what you love um, um, about doing the projects that you do. Um, because, yeah, you can't you can't fake that enthusiasm. That's you know it's just the true feeling about it. But you do then in that conversation you'd say, hey, look, but there there is risk in um, in property, and these are the things that we um, that we do, and that can be everything from area, your team, your experience, um, your exits to to make sure that you're um, um, uh, reading the project, how you run your numbers, your contingency, um, the, everything that you do, how you've you've got yourself to now is how you've actually, um, uh, you, you know, you, how you built your team, how you mitigate risk in these projects. It's such an important one. I just, it, it's whatever works for you. you know, this, I'm, I'm not suggesting this guy is wrong. Just for me personally, I'd be talking about the great things that we love about it, but I wouldn't wait for them to um, uh, hit them with um, some of the, um, the risk because in any investment there is risk. You know, and going back to my point about the FCA, uh, all of our, um, our documentation goes out explaining we are not FCA regulated and independent uh, financial and legal advice should and must be sought before any investment is, is made. And we, we, we say this, we put it in emails, it's on our documents. It's imperative that we should tell people that these, these are things that, um, that you're getting yourself into. But this is how you 
we are inspired and mitigate those risks. So uh, it, it's, it's really up to you. I just personally wouldn't um, do it at the, at the offset because it's, um, you could be turning somebody off and you, you do need to make sure that, that they like what it is that you do and um, just be honest with them. Um, so, but you have to hit it and do not wait um, for them to ask you about risk. Same with um, if you've got good news or bad news. Um, uh, Hugh Hilton, uh, the um, I think all, most of you will know of Hugh Hilton, a wonderful chap, done $5.5 billion of uh, uh, real estate deals. And he uh, once said to me, uh, uh, bad news isn't like fine wine. Uh, so uh, bad news, yes, yeah, so bad news isn't like fine wine. It doesn't get better with age. It was something like that. Um, I think you get my point. I'm sorry, I, I'm misquoting badly there. But um, yeah, uh, if you've got any bad news about something or something that you need to share with your investor, you tell them straight, straight away. Thank you. My Great pleasure. point. Um, and second up, I'm going to bring up Nilton. Um, we met Nilton um, at a recent uh, talk that we did, a property talk. So welcome, Nilton. Hi, Nina. Thanks. Uh, great presentation, Richard. Thanks, Nilton. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks. Um, one of the things I picked up on was uh, you mentioning about being prepared in terms of having contracts drawn up. Um, and my question was, what, what are the contracts exactly do you need to have in place? So it depends what you're offering. Um, great question. So if it's uh, a loan agreement, you'd need to speak to your solicitor. And this is a contract lawyer, so it's not your conveyancer. So contract lawyer, and you say, these are the, um, this is a document I'm going to need in my business. So if it's a loan agreement, uh, there will be some things that you should be able to amend yourself, like the amount of money, um, what um, the return is. So is it a percentage of the money? Is it annualized? Uh, is it paid monthly? Uh, is it a bullet? payment at the end? Is it a share of profit? Those things you can add in yourself, but you have to have a, a, a loan agreement. You will also want to have, if you're going to do joint ventures, you'll need to have things like articles of associate, association drawn up. You can use the standard form ones, but I'd also suggest you take a look at those. And then there's the things like shareholder agreements. So um, you want to have the basic documents drawn up, but in each of those, you will then, so for example, if, if you and I were doing a joint venture together, Nilton, we would agree what that would look like. So what, what are we going to be like? What's this partnership going to be? We would, you know, on a sheet or two of paper, we can write down the key headlines. That can then go to um, your solicitor to draw that into the overall contract. But make sure you have documents ready. And so you've got a standard form agreement. So an investor says, oh, great, yeah, I want to give you some money. What contract will we use? you then say great i've got something here i'm going to send it over to you don't say uh, i'll have to have something drawn up and then it takes you a few weeks to send something perfect thank you my pleasure lovely thank you next up we have kevin kevin george if you want to unmute yourself welcome kevin lovely yeah thanks guys um it's been great actually being back on. I was on one of your events uh, a little while ago, but I've been looking forward to getting back on. It's great. It's been really insightful. So thanks very much, first and foremost. Um, so when you're in the early stages of whether it's property, as I am, or whether it's kind of like I think you mentioned earlier, Richard, a new business idea that you're kind of consulting with people to see how it would be received. And you get a lot of naysayers and it seems like every kind of corner that you turn around, you've got somebody else saying no 
when you've not got the sort of track record and history behind you to kind of give you the reassurance that yeah what you're thinking and what you're doing is going to work how do you kind of tend to your own sort of kind of belief in what you're trying to do is there anything you can do perhaps in your spare time is there sort of some sort of exercises that you do to kind of reinforce that belief or what, what how have you kind of approached that in the past yeah so there's a, a, a in very in-depth question and a, and a brilliant one uh firstly read uh, you know, I mentioned earlier on in this talk, you know, things like just even looking at investment websites. So what is the language people are using? Read books about what it is. I mentioned uh, Millionaire Next Door, but uh, read books of other entrepreneurs that have um, gone there. So um, um, Richard Branson's got a load of books out, but there uh, are so many wonderful um, books that um, that you can have. I'm just looking across my bookshelf. So you've got things like The Slight Edge, um, the compound effect. Um, oh goodness me! Um, the uh, think and grow rich. Obviously, you've got rich dad, poor dad. Um, she, uh, the co um, co author of that we actually had on our podcast, um, uh, Sharon Lecter. She's an amazing lady. Uh, listen to podcasts of other investors. So, just getting your head into that space. Um, but I'm going to pick up on a key thing, and it's you inadvertently mentioned something that. If you don't change the habit, you, you, it will never change. And you mentioned that you're just starting out. And um, we've got, uh, when we're looking for the numbers, 60 odd people on this, on this call. And they're all potential investors. Now, I've mentioned you never, ever, ever uh, say, you know, it's something that isn't true. But um, by saying, Saying you're just starting out people say i'm going to watch this guy in the future but i'm not going to do anything with him now <laughs> and um that shift in in mindset is uh, is something that you um you 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 need to um you need to sort of move away from uh have have you done any property education uh yeah so i went through some training with um it was legacy at the time that i did it okay. that was, yeah so the uk is well, one of the uk's most prevalent training organizations so uh, and what what what's what's your career what is your career kevin uh so at the moment i've I, uh, in part of the first part of my double life um i'm uh, basically in financial advice in that sort of realm um you know kind of as a day job really yeah Okay. So, so this, this, is, this is perfect. So hi, my name's um, Kevin. I'm leading a double life at the moment. Now, I've, I've been in financial services for a number of years. I've given people advice on investment um, and also seen a number of great investments and know what to look out for. But what I wasn't doing was in taking control of my own future and making sure that I was doing the investments. So what I did, I went out to find one of the UK's most prevalent training organisations in property, I invested heavily, both financially, but in my time into understanding all aspects and uh, um, all of the intricacies of property, the strategies to enable me to make the right investment. Mm -hmm. I am now investing in property and uh, to ensure that I continue along that, uh, um, that, that, that path of growth. I'm part of this network. I hang around with these people. If you have a coach or a mentor, you say, this is the person that's given me guidance to ensure that not only with their training, but I can get that sort of reassurance I'm making the right deals. So that, that's your story. And there's nothing in that that isn't 100% true. You just now need to find yourself a deal 
and uh, and then if you don't have the capital to do it and you can't raise the investment find someone that's experienced and say no we do we do this all the time kevin so you know, we bring the debt the equity the experience uh, we'll of course make sure that people are compensated for bringing the deal and they can work alongside us to see exactly what's going on you've then done your first deal because and you've done it with zero risk but um there's a great example actually so i, I was um at a uh, a property training it was a, a legacy thing it's a, a symposium back in birmingham a number of years ago and they were doing this big sort of networking evening and uh, i was chatting with a lady and she, she she'd done two or three projects so uh, i think she had an hmo she'd done a buy today and she'd done a flip so she, she's really sort of uh, got moving herself along and she said oh you know the really thing at the moment though is like i i'm i just need investment i just uh, so uh, my the whole thing's stalled now without um, without an investor and I said oh do you mind if I give you a piece of advice because Nina will attest to this I'm always giving people advice so I now have to ask if, if, if it so it's not unsolicited and she said yeah sure I said never say that you, I said you've got such good you buy to let HMO flip you know you, you've got three good strategies there those are things that will really attract investors never say to someone you know oh but I'm, I'm, my whole thing's stalled now I'm not getting investment um, because or I'm not can't do anything more because I need investment and she said, oh, it's okay here because we're all amongst friends. I said, yes, you are, and this is a safe space, but you're also always talking to investors. And that just turns some, somebody off. So, you know, what she should, I said, so what you should be saying is, now I've done uh, a, a flip, but I've got a buy to let, I've got an HMO. These are returns they're getting. We're in the, at the moment, we're looking for new opportunities because, you know, we've had such great um, uh, track record and our investors are pleased with those last three deals that we're looking for more. And that you're just drawing people in. So um, you're always, you know, you know, I'm not saying that you're not amongst friends here, but always think about what it is that you're saying because the, the People are always looking for a reason not to invest in you. And by saying, mm -hmm. I'm still a beginner, you, you, the education, you've, I don't know what courses you've done at Legacy, but by doing Legacy training, you will be among the best educated people in property in the UK um, just by doing that training. So you need, need to remember that and, and um, think about how you're positioning yourself. It goes back to the start of this talk. It's about how you position yourself. And you just need to find a deal. Okay, brilliant. Lovely. Thanks for that. I hope that helps. Appreciate that. Yeah, massively, yeah. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the question. Also, just adding to that, the, the importance of surrounding yourself with like-minded people, you know, who you're networking with, spending time on these type of events, you know, being in an environment where everybody wants the same and everybody's encouraging, and that will also help with your mindset. You know, you, if you look in the chat box here, you'll see a load of people have recommended things for you. And so just surrounding yourself with, with the right people is key. Um, I'm now going to bring up Julia. Um, Julia, one of our I London IMN members. Lovely to see you, Julia. Hi, yeah. Hi. Uh, thanks so much, Richard. And nice to see so many faces that I haven't seen for such a long time. It's uh, it's it's great. Um, I thought uh, you've covered some really, really useful ground there, Richard, and, and all sorts of different things. And uh, I totally buy into everything that you've talked about and we've done an awful lot of that and we we are very fortunate we do have a number of investors that we work with but one of the questions that we always get asked um, from lots of other people and I thought was re uh, relevant to share because it's about the balance um, it's kind of do you find the deal first or the money and so we we, we have some long-term investors that work with us but we also 
have some that come in for projects, but getting that balance right is actually quite difficult because you don't want to end up holding lots of people's money, hoping that you're going to find, a, anticipating finding a deal and it taking longer when the market at the moment is quite an interesting place. Um, and so therefore you don't want to be paying out interest on stuff you're not using. So it, it's that kind of balance. It, it's a brilliant question. And uh, when I was first told that um, you'll you'll have one one of two things. You'll have loads of capital, no deals, or loads of deals, no capital. I thought that can't be true. It is. Um, the uh, one of the things, and I actually meant to say this in my talk. So thank you for uh, for prompting me, Julia. Um, I, I always say that we are never raising capital, but we are always raising capital. And by that, I mean, we will never advertise a deal or go out and say, hi, new deal, um, do you want in on, on, on this one in that way? Because I find that's a bit crass and people will move away. But every single thing that we do is always about positioning ourselves and raising capital. So we've got this constant um, influx of, um, uh, of, of inquiries. And the... Um, the, 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 the answer to the question there, it's, it's a fine balance. Now, um, I would say that you should always be raising capital. Always, always raise capital. You'll hear people say, you know, if the deal's good enough, um, then you'll always raise the capital. But at that point, you've now got time pressures on you. Because if the deal's good, you're going to have to act quickly. And one thing I know is that when you say to investors, oh, this is a great deal, but you have to act now, people go, mm, I'm not interested. And we're actually all told to do that um, because you know, it's that's a sales technique by putting time pressure on it. You know, buy now or you'll you'll lose out on the deal. So the balance of that though is having investors that you can trust and make sure that you work with because we typically don't take investment in if we don't need it. It's a bad habit. It's very costly. You're then paying things. If you need to then take in more money to pay that, you've created a Ponzi scheme. Very illegal. So we typically don't take investment, but we've all constantly, uh, constantly got a flow of deals and investors that we, we just communicate very, very effectively with. Now, we have lost investors in the past. About three years ago, a guy says to me, you don't know what you're doing. You've not placed my capital yet. And he had a big chunk of money. And I said to him, at the time, they're just, he was quite specific in what he was looking for. And I said to, said to him, I'm, I'm not going to deploy your capital into a project for the sake of doing a project. I would rather that the, um, I, I do this the right way. Now, um, interestingly, um, he actually went in and invested in something else and it didn't work out. But he, he, was, he was putting time pressures on me. And that's when you need to be very controlled because um, money burns a hole in your pockets. And if when you're pressured into doing deals, particularly at the moment where the current market is, so much hope value out there, people are holding out for crazy money. Um, we're, the way our business is structured, we're fortunate enough not to have to do deals to um, uh, uh, um, uphold the workforce. But time pressures will make bad decisions for, for you uh, and you don't need an investor breathing down your neck. Um, so it's a fine balance, but we just typically, we just don't take, we take money in, we say we've got, we know we're going ahead on that project. We will take it in so we've got the money in, so up to a month beforehand. So it's there and we're ready to go because you then don't want to um, fall through on actually um, exchanging and completing. But just taking money in is difficult. It's about having a good balance of investors and, and a good group of investors that understand this business. So then do you have um, a, a mechanism by which investors you select for each project? 
or so do you tend to use the same investors or for a particular type of project or do you try to circulate the investors so that everybody gets a bite of the cherry we uh, good question as well and it, it depends we know exactly what each investors are looking for so if it doesn't um, work for them, then we just simply won't go to them. We don't just say, here's another investment. Um, we're, um, it's about making sure that you're looking after your long-term, um, long-standing investors, but bringing in new investors. It's about deal flow, really, um, not, not about investment flow. So making sure that you're, um, you're communicating effectively with them and just say to them, if I don't, I don't have a deal, I don't have a deal. And I've not, other than that one, I've not experienced issues where someone says, no, I'm, I'm going to go elsewhere. On the flip side of that, though, the day that you first say no to an investor is a very valuable day because when you're first starting out, you're always looking to, um, you know, desperate to take in any investor. And sometimes we had an investor one um, time, they said, oh, um, and we'd gone, gone so well throughout the, the whole discussion. And they said, it's great, you'll be working for me. And I said, no, uh, this, this isn't, this is a, as I've talked about in this, in this talk this evening, this is a mutually beneficial arrangement. You know, that there's, we're both receiving benefits out of that. I, 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 no, I won't be your employee in this arrangement. So uh, not sacking an investor, but saying no to investors is something that's always beneficial at the start. Um, it, there's not really an answer to, to your question, though, Julia, because you, you need to, um, to to rotate um, investors, but you need to make sure that you're not actually um, excluding new ones or the ones that have stood by you for a long time. Our loyalty is always with the, the long, longer standing ones. The other thing that we have done in the past, we've actually said to our investors, you know, I think that you've put or wanting to put too much money with us. Uh, I think you're overextending yourself. You know, we, we firmly believe in what it is that we're doing, but um, we want to make sure that we're being responsible as well. Um, if you're involved in a number of projects already or there's big sums of money involved, we'll actually say, I, I don't think it's right for us to, to mobilise another deal together until we've concluded this current deal. It's just uh, it's, it's a term of ethics and, and doing the right thing. Yeah. Good. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right, um, the next question we have is from Craig. Craig, if you want to unmute yourself, welcome up, Craig. Nice to see you. Good to see you both. Thanks, Richard, for the talk. It's always a pleasure to hear you chat, especially about this subject. It's always a, a poignant thing, I think, for many, many people. So it's very great. But what I really wanted to know was um, how, um, how long was it um, you was investing before you started looking to raise capital? working uh, or working with other investors to expand your company's reach? Okay, brilliant, brilliant question. And um, Nina and I had been uh, investing for uh, in, in buy-to-let properties with surplus, even before we started the business, for uh, seven years. So we'd had, there was some element of help there. Um, we, um, we did uh, five projects um, before we um, started raising our um, first bunch of, of capital um, because we've been we, we when we first started investing we did it in such an uneducated way that our properties negatively cash flowed so we put repayment mortgages on our buy to lets and so by the time we'd um, paid the um, paid the mortgage and the insurance we're actually uh, negative um, the, the rent brought in 
but we were happy to do that. So we thought, well, you know, it's contributing towards our pension. Um, but by having them on a repayment, we, we started in 2009 after the, the crash. So we, we bought a couple of properties, particularly so below market value. We were deploying these strategies. They teach you at um, property training school without us even knowing. And so they, they, they grew quite quickly in value. Plus on the repayment, we ended up with a quite healthy bunch of equity to um, uh, uh, to start with. So we were able to do this sort of proof of concept, new strategy, invest, and invest again, invest again, and then we were able to go out and raise capital. So um, if you don't have capital to use yourself, this is why I've been talking about finding a partner to work with, because now I... Um, it, it's, it's just important that you say, I've not only educated myself, but I've done this before and this is how I've done it. Um, but I also know people that have gone out and raised capital and um, done the first project by raising capital as well. So there's no right or wrong answer, but I just am a firm believer, do it with your own money first, put yourself at risk before you put others at risk. It's just, it, it's I, I can't do it any other way. It's just how I'm, I'm made up. But there are, if you don't have capital to start out with, there are ways around it, as I've mentioned, to, um, uh, to, to actually um, be able to, to mitigate the risk and show that you've done a project. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very similar way uh, myself with regards to if you've got capital, utilise it, have proof of the scheme and, and move forward with that. But um, so if you just one more question on the back of that, if I can. So looking at the experience that you have today, would you have done anything different? If you had that experience, if you gained that experience in the beginning, I, I wish I did this a lot earlier. To to, to be honest, um, <laughs> I, I, I there's a question I've I've got here that um, I, I was sent beforehand, and um, uh, it actually says um, I've just turned 19, and I'm in my gap year um, before I head to um, head up to um, university next year, starting in property. And I responded um, back. To, I replied to the email, and I'm going to cover all from one of those questions on in that email in a moment. I said, you know, first things first, 19. Wow, I wish I knew what I know now back then. Um, in, in seriousness, though, um, is there anything that I would have done differently? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, we were in a fortunate position where we had capital to work with, so we could do the proof of concept. But everything that I've talked about this evening, we went out, we educated ourselves after, you know, we'd done well, but in an uneducated well, educated ourselves, we just, the business just then shot forward, we started the business, it then shot forward. Um, the, each new strategy we de um, deployed, we uh, become an expert in that, and then that becomes a reflex action, we can deploy investors capital into that, start doing other things. So now, um, we uh, we just went straight into HMOs and just um, started churning these out. But um, we um, it was great that we could do that with our own capital, got proof of concept, and uh, then use investors' um, uh, capital. Then we said, right, okay, we want to do flips, so we did it with our own capital, and then started working with investors on flips. And then, but the, you know, the, the goal was always to be into into developments. Um, so. There's obviously things that we've learned along the way, but in terms of the structure and how we've done it, I'm in hindsight, I'm pretty pleased with with the way we've done it. The only thing I would do differently is I wish I'd done this years years before. You and me both, yeah. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Great to see you. Thanks, Mike. Okay, we have one last question because I know that you do have those other questions to answer, Richard. So we just have one last question, um, which is from um, uh, Sadeep. So if you want to unmute yourself, Sadeep. Hi Richard. Hi there. Hi Nina. 
brilliant presentation, really enjoyed it. Thank you very um, much. The question I'm, I'm interested in is about the FCA regulation. How yep. do you um, use language that doesn't get you contravening FCA rules and regulation? Uh, well, with the sword of Democles uh, of 10 years imprisonment, I find it focuses your mind quite, quite quickly. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm being a little uh, facetious there. Um, the, um, it's understanding the, the rules and then saying to um, the investor, so uh, explain that you're not FCA regulated and there's some certain things that you need to um, tell them. So. Um, that you won't be giving them invest investment advice and you can't tell them whether a deal is a good or bad deal. Uh, you can't tell them whether um, 8, 10, 12, 15% is better um, than their money in the bank. What they do need to understand is that um, that you have gone through the process and you understand, you understand what a good deal is. They need to make sure that um, they are able to make that assessment themselves. So by being very upfront, like that um, and then you know, I mentioned earlier these should ask questions that helps them understand the things they should ask you it puts you in a um, more impartial light as I see it um, but at all points you, you say to them I can't tell you whether this is a good or a bad deal you need to make that assessment yourself um, but I, I see on, on Facebook in particular particularly on property groups which is uh, I just I, I, it worries me and um, people say I'm offering much better returns than you can get in your bank or this is if you were earning 0.5 of a percent and you had a hundred thousand this is what you'd earn but if you invested with me and I'm offering 10 percent this is what you'd earn it's it's completely um, it completely contravenes um, FCA regulation mm. so just be really really careful um you want to have investors that also understand them. You know, I mentioned there have to be sophisticated investors or high net worth individuals because you're taking money into your business. Yes, friends and family, but property is a business, regardless of whether you're your friend um, or family member. We have investment from friends and family members, and the process we go through with them is identical to a complete stranger um, that we um, that, that when they first come to us uh, from. Uh, our, our speaking and, and, and our sort of brand gets out there. We do have people coming through our website and asking us about it, how they invest with us. And we treat those people that are sort of the, the cold um, inquiry coming in in no differently to a family member or friend. It's a business. We treat it that way. Uh, but you just need to you need to understand the language, uh, and most importantly, don't offer advice. Um, it's mm. this is what you're doing. This is why you do it, and this is why you enjoy why you do it but you're not giving advice and remind them that they need, they need to, uh, if they feel they need to, they need to seek independent financial advice. I did write out um, a private finance document, shared it with some friends and one of them suggested, he's a lawyer, a solicitor, that um, I speak to somebody who's well-versed in these sort of things from a legal perspective. And then it escalated to a discussion that I might have to contact a barrister um, who specializes in these sort of things. They're talking like an £8,000 fee, which I just had to hold back a bit then. Uh, I don't think you need to spend £8,000, um, the barrister. So um, if you need FCA regulation, you have to um, employ a, a consultant. Yeah. Um, uh, so the FCA won't give you advice. They're very helpful on the phone. They understand their policy, but they won't tell you what's right and wrong. 
So you have to go to the uh, the APCC and that you can get yourself a consultant from there, you pay them, but then you find out that uh, it's actually, that's just um, their view um, and you have to go to a lawyer or a barrister. But you are not, uh, if you're in a property business and you're seeking investment, it's very unlikely that you need to have um, the FCA regulation. So understand what unregulated activity is yeah. uh, and you can go to the FCA um, uh, website, look up high, high net worth individual, look up sophisticated investors, understand those rules. And I've covered some of the key ones, it's even not all of them, it's not an exhaustive list. <laughs> but you, you're not going to need that. Just do not give advice and make sure that people are aware that you are not FCA regulated. Um, you, it's important now, you need to get your contracts drawn up. But most important, you're not going to need to spend £8,000 um, on this, but you are going to need to invest some time, some money, but not £8,000, just making sure you understand it. Uh, yeah. Do not get this wrong. And if you're promoting for your own business, so your own limited company, there are some certain allowances as well. So because you are allowed to promote your own business, but just you're not allowed to, that's, um, you need to make sure that you're not going out to retail. So you're not promoting on TV or uh, on social media. Hey, anyone come in and I'm going to give you great returns. Um, but yeah, it's, it's through understanding those things that you, you'll, um, you'll, you'll understand what you can actually do. Speaking at events is great for uh, raising your profile. And I, I mentioned earlier, we, we never raise capital, but we're always raising capital. I go to events and people say, why are you here? I, know, I'm, I haven't met everyone yet. I've got an exciting business. I love sharing about what it is that we do. And I love meeting people. Along the way, I've met some great business partners. I've picked up some great deals and I've also met some investors. So that's why I'm here, just to meet new people and talk about what it is that I do in my business. And then I just enthuse about property. But I never say, I never, ever once said, I'm looking for investment. Cool. Thank you. My pleasure. Lovely, thank you. That's it for the questions on this side. Um, just one point that I wanted to, to make there. I know that we, we've talked about speaking on stages and speaking publicly, but also I just wanted to add the importance of, um, of, of being able to, so in an example like this, you know, you've got a chat function, say who you are, where you're, what business you're, called, you're from, and then at every opportunity, and when we say about getting up and speaking, that can be as much as asking a question. Coming across well, asking a good question in front of an audience makes you stand out as well. So we, we always really encourage that. So over to you, Richard. Thank you. So that gave me the opportunity to, to run through some of these questions that I had received via email but i'm pleased to say that i did cover those um within the presentation so um the last thing for me and it's going back to one of my initial points making sure that you're available in the public domain now um we run a networking club we have a podcast we speak regularly it's important that we uphold our um, reputation and everything that we say we do is easily evidence and then we actually follow through on that and that's one of the main reasons we are make ourselves so public because we know that we are um, uh, working with investors and we want to be seen by them because if anything was to be um, uh, underhand they would be able to get hold of us easily and also be able to share with the rest of the world what they felt about us so it's always being genuine and true to 
uh, our word. But some of the great things also is from speaking on stage and having them videoed or having, for example, our podcast. When people ask for your views on things, you can often point them to things that you have said previously. And it's all about building up this library of things. So only in the last week I've referred people to uh, news articles that uh, Nina wrote about three years ago and I wrote and one about four years ago. And I said, someone asked me for a view on something. I said, hey, look, go and read this article that we wrote four years ago. But um, the main purpose of tonight is to share with other people about raising capital. It's such an important thing. However, this is going on our podcast. And if any investor ever wants to consider how it is that we raise capital and our views on taking an investment, I can say, listen to this podcast. So building up a library of information that you can use and share with potential investors all adds credibility and, 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 and shows that who you say you are, you actually are. And if there's ever any point you think, well, um, you know, it's, you know, uh, if I start now, how long is it going to be before um, I am able to take my first investment? I never knew when I wrote that article four years ago, four years later, I'll be referring back to it. And the great thing is that tomorrow does come. So it's all about putting a foot forward today and taking a step in the right direction, building up that profile, building up that credibility, getting track record behind you. And as I say, if you need to work with another um, uh, company to, to make sure you've got that experience, just do so. One step sideways and leaps and bounds forward. It makes a difference. So think about how you can build your profile um, so that you can always point a prospective investor. This is what I um, say I do, and this is proof that I've done it. So I sincerely hope that that's been of, um, of use to you all. I've thoroughly enjoyed sharing with you, and I wish you all the very best of luck going out securing your investors, or for those investors amongst you, ensuring that you're aware of what to look out for, the questions to ask, and most importantly, how you contract to that investment. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about what we do or to get to know us, please visit inspiredequity.com. Join us on our next show for more interactive property discussions. Until then, I wish you good health and continued success. Go out there and be inspired.